Hey listeners, before we get into this episode, I have a quick ask to make. I started this podcast as a research project on how to be a top individual contributor in the product design space. My goal for the show was to learn what it takes to be an individual contributor that's doing amazing, impactful work that they love doing day in and day out and getting paid top dollar while they do it. Becoming that type of individual contributor is the ultimate job security. With close to 100 hours of interview recordings, this has naturally led to the creation of the short form video articles that synthesize my learnings into 10 minute listens of actionable content. You might recognize these as my morning walk episodes or the hashtag shorts episodes. To my surprise, those episodes have been very well received and listeners have enjoyed the synthesis of what I've learned. This has led to the next chapter of my research project, which is beginning to synthesize what I've learned into a new newsletter called Thinking Out Loud About Design that you can subscribe to right now for free. Thinking Out Loud About Design is an email newsletter and podcast that basically contains all my synthesis for my long form interviews. It's pure distilled learnings that you can apply to your career immediately. This content is for you if you are a couple years into your career and you're trying to make that move from mid-level to senior designer and senior designer to staff designer. I mainly focus on becoming high-performing individual contributors in the product design industry. A free subscription gives you full access to the newsletter, podcast episodes, and website. You won't have to worry about missing anything because every new edition of the newsletter goes directly into your inbox. So my ask is this. If you have gotten any value out of the way of product design, or if it's helped you in any way or someone you know, please subscribe to Thinking Out Loud About Design and get the distilled learnings on being a staff-level individual contributor. You can find a link to the newsletter in the show notes of every episode of this podcast and on my LinkedIn page. Just look up Caden Damiano. Thanks again for listening and supporting the way of product design. I wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't listening. Now, on to the show. Welcome to The Way of Product Design. I'm your host, Caden Damiano. This podcast has one mission, help product designers generate massive value for their clients, their companies, and themselves so they can do the work they enjoy the most. We know design is valuable, but how can you unlock the true value design in your work? To help with this, I interview top performers in design, product management, and engineering so you can understand what's valuable to your stakeholders, your bosses, and your customers. So enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. I have a very interesting guest that I've been very excited to talk to. Today, my guest is Jordan Bowman. He's one of the He's a co-creator of UX Tools. And if you're not familiar with the site UX Tools, you might be familiar with something they produce on an annual basis, which is the annual design tools survey, which I think in based off my exposure to it and LinkedIn, it's like the de facto source of truth where it comes to design tools being used and how they're being adopted in the industry. Yeah, for sure. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Taylor started it a while ago and then we hooked up and combined on stuff, but it's been going for several years now. And I think we have companies talking to us all the time about what's the survey going to look like this year. <laughs> <They're all excited laughs> and, and yeah, it's a great project to work on. It's fun. Isn't it, is it crazy to think that your, that project has influenced like the procurement of like design stacks for yeah. a lot, ton of companies? Yeah, for sure. Like we have these little notifications that we've set up to tell us when people are talking about the survey and stuff like on Reddit and Hacker News and stuff. And it seems like anytime someone asks what's, what design stack should I be using? People always point to the survey. And, and, and like I said, we have a bunch of companies, these companies that we have in the survey, reaching out to us all the time, making sure that they're well presented in the survey. It's, it feels like it's, it feels like there's a lot of influence behind it. And that's really exciting for us as it's also a lot of pressure to have all of that kind of influence sitting behind you, especially in a free thing that we do. But it's really cool because we're both, Taylor and I are both tool nerds. We like talking about tools and 
figuring out the best ones and optimizing and stuff. Can you tell me a little bit before I move forward? Can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, like your story, introduce yourself to the listener and just talk about how you even got to this point where you're making a survey where companies are like fact checking your data because it's making them look bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a senior product designer. I've been designing for over eight years and I like to focus on the holistic view of design. So not just UI design, but things like UX research and just a holistic view of product design in general. And so I work for, just as a side note, I work for a company right now called Catalyst, which is like the Zillow of commercial real estate. And we have several apps and stuff and I'm the sole designer. So that's my day job. And then I work on UX tools with Taylor Palmer, who is another senior designer. And we, we do several things on UX tools. Actually, we have articles. We're pretty active on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook and Instagram. And then we have several little projects like the tools survey, obviously. And from the tools survey, we make a database that's basically supposed to help people decide on whether or not they want to use specific tools. It's just a matrix of a bunch of features that each one has broken down by category. And then we also have, which is a recent addition, our UX challenges, which are basically take-home homework assignments to help you practice specific designers and product designers use every day. So, yeah, the that... This, yeah, this recent release of these challenges, which are broken up into tools in the UX toolbox. So if you go to UX tools forward slash challenges, it has uh, these cards, which I'm guessing you're going to print them out. <laughs> it looked like they'd be a make a sick deck, like that you could just give to people. Yeah. Uh, but it breaks it out into things like empathy mapping, user flows, surveys. And then when you click into it, it gives you like a, like a made up project, which I think was like super interesting. Like when you guys were actually just pre-hyping it before the actual release, that was something like on my mind of, we don't really have a lot of things out there that help engage like the critical thinking aspect of design. And what I've noticed is that there is like a huge lack of critical thinking I think in most professional spheres, but it's, it's, it's like a lack of like in being in touch with the process and understanding that the design process is not linear, but there's not like this handle on all these different techniques that you could use and understand like which ones to use and at what point of the project you should use it or if you need to use it. What, like, what were like the main challenges in like packaging up these without being too prescriptive? Yeah. We, so it might not have looked like it at first blush, but we put a lot of thought into these challenges. So, you know, like you were, and I totally agree with everything you were saying. Like you said, when you go into a specific challenge, so I'll just break down the pieces of it. First, there's a scenario. And that scenario is specifically designed to be something that you'd run into as a, in, in real life as a UX designer. So these aren't like fake redesigns or save the world whiteboard challenges. They're like real world situations and assignments that you would get as a designer. And so we came up with specific scenarios for individual tasks. Like the one that I'm looking at right now is a competitive analysis. So in the scenario you're designed to, you're assigned to design, to create a competitive analysis. And then it breaks down what exactly the task is that you need to do, what the deliverable is. It even gives some extra credit that you can do if you want. Then it has tutorials and links out to other places that you can use to learn more about the skill and how to do it. And it has recommended tools and a way to share your results and get feedback from us. So the task is, like I said, focused on one specific UX skill so that you can train in that skill. Because the thing about the, the design world online is that there are, there, there's just so much theory and, and articles. We write articles 
There's just so much content out there, but there's not really anything to help you actually practice and start. And I think that's how you start learning things is when you actually do them. So the task is really the center of, of the challenge. It's, this is like where your learning is actually going to occur when you actually follow through and make something. And then we poured over probably hundreds of pieces of content online and handpicked all of, uh, three articles and a video for every challenge that we thought was focused on helping, was actionable and focused on helping you actually produce something rather than just talking about theory. So that kind of serves us as the reference. And then for the tools, obviously we pulled a lot from the survey. It's pretty opinionated, the tools that we recommend. The idea there is that these are probably junior designers who don't have a lot of experience yet. And so we, we thought that we should just throw out specific tool ideas so that they don't have to search around and wonder what they should use. Yeah, I, we put just a lot of thought into this. It wasn't just done in a weekend or something. It was, we, it actually took us a few months to put all of it together. Yeah. And if people aren't familiar with, you know, you or Taylor as like yeah. designers, it's yeah. One thing that like I admire about you guys is that you're able to output a ton of stuff with a very high quality at the same time, which requires a lot of intense focus to get done that fast. But yeah. I like how you focus in on you, you don't overcomplicate it, like by making it like an open design challenge, like in a job interview, or it's just to redesign Airbnb or whatever. Yeah. And you have to come up with like tools, but it gives you a chance to be like, okay, now the outcome is a competitive analysis. This is the scenario. These are the kind of scenarios that would trigger like the heuristic of, okay, we need to understand what our competitors are doing. And so you need to come up with a competitive analysis. And I think that's a super cool. They did that as like a free option because that was like, like UI design, for example. So I out of a, you know, bachelor's program, very strong UX process, but UI was always been, has always been a struggle for me, but there's just nothing out there that gives me like those kind of like structured exercises and that. So like when I took shift nudge and last year, not free, but actually pretty big investment <laughs> yeah. of uh, money, but totally worth it. It's awesome. Like just what I could do now, but what I liked about it and spoilers into the course, like he breaks it up by elements. There's like a whole module like typography. And then one lesson is focused on like line spacing or like another lesson is just focused on for like the layout, the layout the module, just practice optical alignment in your design, like design this using optical alignment. And I think that's like the, the cheat code for learning a new skill is like understanding, okay, what's like the deliverable I want to practice. Like I want to get better at user flows. I want to get better at kerning. And yeah. then I need like a scenario to make me like make it real instead of just practicing it for the sake of practicing it, you know? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly what we were thinking when we made these. And I'll, I'll touch on two of the things that you mentioned. So first of all, yeah, project-based learning. That's how, that's how humans learn the best, I think. We don't learn best by lectures. You, you learn so much more by actually doing things. I taught myself how to code a long time ago. And I very quickly realized that I was not going to learn very much just by reading online. So I dove into things like code academy and treehouse and stuff who, who who's very they have very project-based learning and i i was also thrown into freelance contracts where i had to code things <laughs> mm -hmm. and so that's how i learned how to code just by doing it i didn't i did very little reading when i learned how to code and i think design is the same way you can sit all day in a classroom or watch YouTube videos or whatever, but until you actually start building things, you aren't a designer yet. You need to learn how to how the process actually happens of building building something. And the other point that you mentioned is there's a lot of there are even challenges out there, other types of design challenges, but almost all of them are very UI focused. They're like redesign Airbnb or whatever. 
-hmm. none of them that we could find focus on these individual skills, user interviews, making a user persona, usability tests, even they're all just redesign this or figure out what, how a centaur would use an ATM or something like that. It's just like random stuff that you don't actually run into as a UX designer. So we felt like there was a big gap there in the free online content world. Do you guys ever think that what you're working on right now is like a prototype for kind of like robust paid content in the future? Yeah, we've definitely thought about that. And we're, we have a few specific paid course ideas in mind. We probably wouldn't launch anything until next year, mm -hmm. but we have some other ideas in the works. Like we're actually going to start a podcast, I think here pretty awesome. soon. I don't know how you guys fit it in with all the other stuff you're doing. Like I'm overwhelmed <laughs> yeah. with just the one thing, but <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it helps that there's two of us. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, it is pretty busy. We do spend a lot of time on it. And yeah, we're thinking about some monetization methods in the future, but right now, everything that we have on the website is free and all the stuff that we currently have is always going to be free. So mm -hmm. we're thinking about additional things in the future that we could monetize. Do you think that you could use one of the challenges on your website to evaluate like a high, a new hire, or is there still like a place for like those kind of like open design challenges? Yeah, I think you probably could. Some of them would lend, would lend themselves better to that situation than others, I think, because some of them are very specific. So I mm -hmm. think you would want something in a hiring process that's a little more general so that you can get a feel for how they, a better feel for how they approach UX in general. But this question about challenges in an interview is so tricky. <laughs> like I've, it's just so complicated, you know, some people hate them. Some people love them. Some people are just like, whatever. Some people, some companies pay you for them. Others don't. There's just all kinds of questions and intricacies with this. I think it's a pretty complex thing. I don't even know what I would do as a hiring manager, honestly, if I would have challenges or not. Yeah. And I, I think challenges are good for practice, which is what you guys are showing. Like a hypothetical situation allows you to work the muscle, at least from what I'm learning is that a lot of like challenges are dumb <laughs> and that, yeah. that the, really the best way to interview someone for a design job is just to look over their portfolio. I guess challenges like are good for junior designers because they don't have a choice and you know what, don't want to sound mean, but like I paid my dues <laughs> just like yeah, yeah. getting into design sucks. Like it's just an industry you have to break into and yet you, you have to do challenges in the beginning. But yeah, the problem with challenges is that they're like, they're biased. That's why with your guys's challenges that there's like, cl there's clear parameters on what is successful is I need a flow chart to critique. If I, I need, if I'm going to give you feedback, it needs to be like this output. And I really, that is what uh, a lot of what the UX job is. It's like these tiny little scenarios. There, it's, it's nothing very linear. You might be like jumping back and forth between like ideate and define in your job for like six months. Right. And yeah. We just wrote an article relatively recently, a few months ago about it's called what no one explains about the design process. And one of our big points in that article was that everyone adheres to a specific process or, or says they adhere to a specific process like design sprint or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with specific processes, but the reality is when you're in a design job, design is different across teams. It's different across projects. It's different across individual designers. So the way that I like to think about it this linear process, but more of a tool set, a toolkit that you use. And you need to be able to understand these underlying principles in the toolkit and apply them wherever it makes sense, rather than following this ABC process every single time. Because like I said, it's different. I get so many different kinds of projects and assignments in my current job because I'm the sole designer. Mm -hmm. So I, I physically cannot apply the same exact process to every single assignment that I get. And so mm -hmm. I think it's more about understanding basic principles about how design work happens 
and then applying those principles where you need to, rather than following a strict process. Yeah. As when I was like a, an associate designer, that, that made me like disillusioned really quick when I found out that was the job, because I'm like, man, like all these designers are like older than me. They've been in this longer. Like they're not following <laughs> yeah. the design. Yeah. Like they hardly user test or they user test every now and then, or they interview customers every now and then. And now I'm finding like, it would be nice. And I, we're trying to do this on my team at home is to have a, a couple like customer interviews lined up like every week. But the only reason we're succeeding at that is because we finally get to spend money on incentivizing people. <laughs> but sometimes it's one week is heads down design work. Other weeks are high level discovery. Other weeks are like thinking about information architecture. It just kind of depends on what needs to be done that week. It never is like project based, especially if you work on a product team, there's, I don't think there's any, any there's no such thing as like a project workflow in a product team because it's agile. Yeah. It's a product it's being worked on for over years. And so like, yeah. you don't like, we're taught to think of things as projects. I think that's yeah. the problem is, yeah. and we're like, no, it's like infinite game. No, it's staying in the game as a product. And yeah, for sure. So it's not always about following a process because the product is not is infinite. It's infinitely linear until the company goes out of business or gets acquired. Yeah. Which is the same thing. It's just <laughs> infinite game. Yep. Yeah. I think. And I think sometimes design schools do a disservice to these junior designers when they, they basically heavily imply every single thing you do as a designer into this specific process, like double diamond or design sprint or whatever. Yeah. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with those processes, but all of those processes, if you look closely, are based on a set of pretty basic principles. Yeah. You know, like, like we talk about this in the article, what the principles are and stuff and examples. But I think you, what, you know, what happens when you go, you're at company A and they follow design sprint and then you go to company B, you move and they follow double diamond. If you don't know, if you're tied down to a specific process, you can't adapt and change your methodology at all. You need to understand the underlying principles first. Yeah. And, and they both have the same underlying principles. It's define, it's empathize, define, ideate, um, prototype test. And, but it's like when people talk about design thinking, like originally it's, it was intended to be a philosophy. It's a philosophy yeah. of how to approach product development. It, it, what it isn't is it's not a process. It's just saying that in order to get to a viable product solution, you should talk to customers you should find out what the root cause is to the problem. You should come up with a two to three or, or several solutions, depending on like how much bandwidth you have as a team. Right. Yeah. Um, I bet, bet in your case, it's maybe two to three <laughs> solutions. Yeah. Mac, yeah. Cause you're like, I have, I cannot possibly test that many solutions. Like you need to yeah. be decisive. You know, you, t you come up with a couple of solutions, you prototype them in code and clickable prototype, or I I'm a big fan of live data prototypes, get an engineer to make a, like a live prototype to try out and you test it. And then rinse and repeat. And as you're testing, you might be the definition of the problem might change. That's about it. Like it's not right. crazy difficult. And then you just employ different design thinking, design techniques, like you're saying, like the toolbox as it goes. But the process, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a fan of these package processes. I'm a fan of, is this really like the philosophy we're doing? If all of our research is defined, validate the right way to do things, then we are skipping ideate. Mm -hmm. let's find one yep. solution and test. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of senior designers think that way. I think a lot of hot take. Yeah. I, yeah. Obviously I can't speak for all senior designers, but lots yeah. of the ones that I've talked to mm -hmm. are like, yeah, I don't really stick to this specific thing all the time, this specific process all the time. They're more they're When I talk to them, it's very much like this conversation between you and I. Yeah, we understand the benefits of those processes, but we like to focus more on principles and not be so tied down and be a little bit more adaptable. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, Because as a senior designer, you do get to that point where it's just you get good enough at a craft where you don't need to depend on rails anymore. Yeah. Yep. And I think 
double diamond and like these diagrams are really great at helping you conceptualize it, but it's not, but it doesn't describe the job description of design. Yeah. That's what I'm finding out. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Cause like we've been talking about, so again, these challenges that we worked on, this is, this looks very much like what a designer's everyday job is. You get a little assignment. You're like, you need to produce this, de- this deliverable. And in, in Double Diamond or whatever, that little deliverable fits in the process, but it's a small piece of it. And, and so you're like, how am I going to follow Double Diamond with this assignment? You're not going to, because it doesn't fit very well. You can definitely think about Double Diamond in terms of the umbrella process that you're designing within. But yeah, I think it's very valuable to be flexible. And maybe that's the wrong question of like, how do I do the whole Double Diamond for this one project? Maybe it's, well, like if you want like where in Double Diamond does this fit? Yeah. And what phase of a design project would this technique fit in? And you cover that in your challenges. It's like uh, you break your challenges into three, no, four, four yeah. different sections. So it's understand, ideate, test, implement. Yeah. So those are the, actually the four principles that we talk about in our, in that article. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about why you broke it up that way? Let me bring up the article really quick because if you want a deep dive, you can just read the article. But the general idea is that first you need to understand what you're designing for. So that means understanding both the user and the employer and figuring out what each one needs and then balance. You just need to come from a place of a solid foundation of understanding. And so these tools these uh, skills that we have challenges for help you do that. They help you understand the project and the requirements and what your goals are as a designer. And then ideate is that's pretty straightforward. It's specific skills for helping you come up with, with creative ideas for how to address the problem, find a solution test. Again, that's straightforward. You're going to test what you ideated. And I think this is really crucial in my personal opinion. You can have ideas all day, but until you actually put it in front of users and put it through the ranks and actually measure it against something, you don't know whether or not it's going to work. So I, I like to test a lot. And then implement is just taking all of the things that you've learned and created up until now and basically pushing it to production. So what does that actually look like? when it's in front of the user in the end product. The individual challenges are broken up by that, by that schema. Yeah, and and that basically just covers, and the worst case scenario, I feel like you're a new designer and you're like, I don't know all these different, and there's like a hundred different techniques. A good book is like the universal methods of design, which is like goes over a hundred (laughs) different design techniques is like getting very familiar with it. Like, and you could use uh, UX tools like breakdown is it's just okay like your instinct tells you i don't understand the problem okay cool that narrows down yeah the, the tech the techniques that you could like use yeah right? it's like, and then okay i feel like we have a bunch of ideas but we haven't really narrowed down which are like the two or three that we should really like invest in okay you just narrowed it down like testing type techniques and then you just get familiar there but it's not like you have to study every single design technique. You can learn on the job and over the years develop and try different things out. Because actually, that's funny because today at work, I was like going through that. Is like I identified like, okay, I don't understand. Like the problem is I just don't, I don't understand like in detail, like the nuances, but then I'm like, uh, should I use, should I build a user environment? Should I storyboard it out? Should I make a a force semantic zoom or which is like a type of concept map like and right now i'm just like brainstorming okay which ways like what kind of like tools can i use to help me understand the problem more yeah and that's the day-to-day that, that's a case study of yeah the job as a that's, UX designer yeah that's a case study of what we were talking about you weren't like okay well, i have to do double diamond now so what's the first process you were like i have this problem mm-hmm. And these are my tools. These are my available tools to f- figure out the solution. Let me pick the best one for this particular scenario. That I, that's what I, I think happens in good design. That's basically it. 
let's let's pivot a little bit. I'm sure people want to know a little bit more about like behind the scenes of the uh, design tool survey. I know that Figma killed it in 2020. And I was actually, when I was talking to Taylor about coming on the show to interview, he's sorry, I'm really busy, like getting the, the tool survey ready to go. And I'm like, yeah. I'm going to just make a prediction right now. Figma must have did a great job. And he's like, yeah, you called it. Yeah. They're just doing so well. It's, it's sorcery, how good their product game is. Can you talk a little bit about like, why do you think like Figma outdid everybody? Why do you think Figma did so well? And then we could talk a little bit about like how you set up the survey so that it's not like a biased, like the data isn't biased, yeah. right? Like you're pretty confident that's no, this is the data. And you even like have a download link on the website to Good. say, no, look at the data, Figma one. But like, why do you think Figma one? So I think there's a few reasons. And to be honest, so we divide up our projects pretty, we, we try to divide, we between Taylor and man on our certain projects. So like I was the point man on challenges. He's the point man on the survey. So he runs a lot of it, but in my opinion, Figma, I think that they came in and really had a good handle on the product design industry and what the day-to-day of our product design uh, of a product designer looks like. And I feel like they are very focused on finding individual problems that product designers are running into every day and solving it for them. So I'm not saying that Sketch and other companies don't do that, but Figma is like laser focused on finding problems that product designers have and fixing them. There's just a myriad of specific features that that kind of showcase that. But they, they obviously weren't always the top dog. Sketch was the top dog for quite a while. But I feel like Figma reached this tipping point where they had solved so many problems for product designers that everyone just started adopting them. And that's what a good product does. Like, I think the same thing is going on with Dovetail. If you are familiar with Dovetail and their sort of research, they, they do, it's like a UX research repository. And I, the first time I got on and used that product, I was like, man, these guys know exactly what my problems are and they know how to fix them for me. <laughs> and so I'm just like blown away by how good they must be at UX research and really getting to the mind of their customer. I think Figma is pretty similar. Yeah. I think like Figma is a really good example of, because they're not the only, like functionally you could do very similar things with sketch figma xd like you can make an artboard and you could put typography and images on it and so a lot of people think that if you believe in just like the linear ux process oh all these tools are the same but obviously not like the data shows yeah that there's like a preference yeah and you could be like well why is it like better marketing is it better have do they just have like cooler features and it's no like the, what makes Figma different is like the subtle, it's like these tiny little features. Yep. And they come out with them all the time. They're yeah, constantly they releasing new stuff. Exactly. And for example, like at work, you know, there's a lot, there's like the whole de- like debate of, we tried that idea already. It doesn't work. And it's maybe your implementation of that idea wasn't like laser focused. Yeah. on meeting the needs of that like that user it's just because you tried it, it it's not like a recipe ux is usually solving wicked problems which means there's no right or wrong answer there's only like good and better solutions and there's no process for getting like the better solution there's only like better critical thinking mm-hmm. of the designer because that's what makes figma like super desirable is it they're, yeah, they're continuously releasing like little improvements. Like they, when they were functionally the same as Sketch, for example, like people still use Sketch. They're like, why would I move over to Figma? It's like the same thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Figma is like coming out with this universal search bar, like being like quick keys for pulling up like tiny little features, quick keys for pulling up plugins, which Sketch still doesn't have. Yeah. And it's just like these tiny little things where they're just like 
incrementally optimizing and releasing features. But knowing that like at first you have to have like table stakes, like people want to have these big product releases that solve all the user's problems. But then when you like talk about table stakes features, like we, we need to at least have a flow that does this to be competitive with our other companies. And they're like, but what problem is it solving? I'm like, it's solving the fact that it doesn't matter if we know any of the customer's problems, if we have nothing to build off of or iterate off of. Yeah. It doesn't matter if we like don't have that foundation of just table stakes features. But then as we see from Figma, once we have like that table, we identify what table stakes is for the industry. Then it's like continuously releasing like value and small, powerful features. Yeah. And, and, and I think that Figma as a company is just so tied into the design community. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying other level. They have full-time design advocates, which are basically just, let's go out and into the, commu- the design community mm-hmm. and make friends and do all kinds of, of stuff and just be part of the design community online. And, and you can look at their plugin system. And I, I think that's another thing that really helped them a lot made their plugin front and center. And there's just so much stuff that's on Figma now via their plugins. But I, I think that points to a, a larger strategy on their part to be involved in their customers' lives and really understand the customer very well. I'm sure they are really serious about UX research. So yeah, I feel like that's one of their focuses. So let's talk to the people, to everyday people in the community. Yeah. I'm, so Jeff Whitlock, who I interviewed, for like probably second person I've interviewed on the show, he talked, he posted something on LinkedIn where he was talking about the lessons he learned at Y Combinator of uh-huh. what they like instill in their startups there. And I'm going to pull it up so I don't <laughs> butcher it. But I mean, the gist of it is that it's basically like you just talk to customers daily, which I think their ability to create a community, Figma was able to create like a community around their product allows them to get that kind of feedback. And then it's like frequently ship new product and product perfection comes over time instead of, and I think a lot of designers aren't because we think in projects, we don't think in product. Yeah. I think that's like product perfection doesn't happens over time. So we don't have the resources to build perfection. If you, even if you ship bugs, it's not the next 10, hundred or a thousand users that will make your you successful. It's the next 10,000 or a hundred thousand users. So it's yeah. constantly ship new product, constantly talk to customers, but ship like ship new product, especially if you're like going from zero to one. And I feel like that's what Figma does. And then sketch gives me tweets like, Hey, have you ever used like proper layer structuring and renaming yeah. your layers. Like not, that was like so tone deaf <laughs> Yeah, of them to say that. And then Figma is, oh, by the way, we just released these two features. I'll change the way you work forever. And you're yeah. like, holy crap. Like, yeah, how do they do that? Like, how do they read my mind? I think, yeah. yeah. So I'm really grateful for what Sketch did. Because like I said, I've been designing for, it's almost 10 years now. I'm really grateful for what Sketch did for the product design community because we're talking about comparing Sketch to Photoshop, which was just so terrible. Sketch just totally opened the door for all other real UX and product design tools to exist. And then XD and Figma came along. So I think, and this happens, this is, this happens in every industry. There's always turnover. There's a half-life for every company usually. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Figma came along and just, I think they've done the slow burn and gotten to a point where for me personally, they're a better option than Sketch. So yeah, I think it, it is a matter of more of an infinite game in the long game. And, and the other thing I was going to say is, I think it's important to ship, but there's a balance between just shipping things to get things out and solving problems which is what I feel like Figma does. Every time they put out something new, even if it's tiny, I'm just like, yes, thank you for fixing that for me mm-hmm. in my life. Digital tools are digital tools are just they're just tools. Like they're not your life. They need to solve problems for people and fix things. And the closer you can get to solving real high pain acute problems for people, the the more loyal they're going to be to you. And I think that's what's happened with Figma. Yeah, I agree with that because it's like, 
there is, it's like when people, companies adopted agile, they're really just waterfall because it's project-based and then they just do two week sprints and they call it agile. <laughs> and I think, and then they're like, let's continuously release. And it's like bug fixes and it's just releasing yeah. just to release. And that's not agile. It's yeah. When people talk about continually shipping value, it's always, okay, let's solve this problem. Let's try this out. Let's try to see if this solves the problem. And when I look at ping pong, which is Jeff Alux uh, startup out of Y Combinator, I look at their, this app and it's just this asynchronous video messaging system. It's really handy for just not having meetings. And uh, the tool looks completely different than two months ago and it just get better and they release something and then, oh, that didn't work. Okay. Next release. It's something different, but you're, then you're just like, oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Every little release is like this tiny little, oh, we heard you want to do this. We fit it into the product, but it doesn't feel blood. Yeah. It feels like lean, like it's getting a little bit better. But yeah, it's always has to be like framed. And that's why a good product manager is like a big deal. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, it's not like just our job as designers to like ship value, but it, I think it is up to us as designers to learn that we can work smaller. <laughs> Yeah. Because I think, yeah. isn't that kind of like one of the reasons why designers suck is that we always prescribe, like we know, no, we need to do this. We need to do this whole complex system. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I think one of the plagues of the design community is ego because <laughs> it crops up a lot. Huh. And that sort of leads you to be like, yeah, we need to do it this way. All right or to make it really bigger than it needs to be. And I think the the solution in my mind to the to all these things that we're talking about to get rid of ego and to make sure you're solving the right problem, the highest priority problem is to do research. And by research basically all of the things the skills, the types of skills in our design challenges and testing and stuff rather than just pixel pushing all day and just sticking in Figma, sticking your head in Figma and just UI designing all day. I think we need to adopt in the design community a little a little more holistic view of what design practice actually looks like and apply more research where we can. Because I don't, in my experience, I don't think you can really fully understand the customer or their mental models or their problems unless you perform that research. It's just not going to happen. Like no matter how talented or intuitive or smart you are, you're not going to be able to figure things out with certainty unless you actually perform some research and do a user interview, do a usability test, all kinds of methods like that. I, I, I just think that research is so important. And one of the things that we're going to start talking about more this year and with UX tools is how to do it more efficiently, because I think the argument for not doing research a lot of the time is well, I don't have the time or the money, but I think you, there are ways to make it more efficient. But anyway, I just feel like research is so important. And I think striving to spend more and more time on it, the more experienced you get is be the better. And I think people are like, well, how? And I, I, what I've learned is that if you could get really good at UI design, meaning that like you're good enough to get fast to make usable, functional, modern looking UIs and spending less time on UI, that's one way for you to think more. Yeah. Spend more time talking to customers, more time in research. Like I think to become more of that pure UX designer that is always talked about and idealized, you have yeah. to get faster at UI so that- yeah. You could spend more time doing UX and that's the challenge, right? Because a lot of people are like, well, I, I got all these like screens to, and, and I'm sure you're one of those people because you're, you definitely have not a ton of bandwidth. You have a lot of, since you're a solo designer, but getting fast at design gives you space and getting fast at UI design gives you space to spend more time solving problems. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, th I think that's definitely a big part of the equation and things like design systems help you a lot 
to be faster with UI design. If you're designing everything from scratch every single time, it's not going to be very efficient. And I think there are also, I think there's a more efficient, agile way that you can approach research. I've had lots of very productive user interviews that were only like 10 or 15 minutes. They weren't like an hour long thing that, that everyone says you need to do. So I, I think there, and, and again, this, we're going to try to talk about this in UX tools over the course of the next year or so, but because we think it's really important to get this out there. But I think there are just different approaches and and ways of doing specific methods that will allow you to get more done and be more conscious of constraints on time and money and stuff, but still get research done. So you say, yeah, that's interesting. So you bring up 15 minute UX research doesn't have to be super formal, right? Like you're saying, it, it can be like a short conversation as long as you like know and i think and also the best ones that you don't have a long script like you have maybe two yeah. or three like open-ended questions tell me a little bit how you do this tell me about your workflow yeah. tell me how you do this and that's all you need to get like an idea of like how you could solve that problem yeah in those in all of those cases i had a specific question that i needed answered and I beforehand constructed some some interview questions that I felt would be really effective and get to the solution as quickly as possible. And I just answered, I just asked those couple questions. I asked maybe a few other questions that emerged from what they said. And then that was it. Like I just had one goal for the interview. I created a plan around that one goal. And then when the goal was solved, I just got off the call. There's no reason to stick around for another 45 minutes on the call un unless you there's more questions to answer. You know? Yeah. And if you're doing interviews frequently, you can afford to cut things off. Like you're not. Mm -hmm. And also here's the thing. Actually, this is great. So there's like this awesome book called Exposing the Magic of Design. And it talks about the difference between marketing research in design research, marketing research, like it attempts to predict behavior. That's why it's always about sample size yeah. and asking like, and then scientifically asking the same questions, but design research is attempts to understand culture, looks at styles, words, tools, and workarounds people use in efforts to inspire design. And it celebrates the unique and peculiar and then avoiding bias is irrelevant in design research. The goal is not to be objective, but instead to be rigorous. Like we, our goal is to be rigorous as designers because we're trying to find out design specs. We're not trying to predict behavior. We're trying to engineer it using human-centered design principles. Like it's, and so I think like what gets people caught up on, oh, if you're done and you're not spending a bunch of time on it, like how could 15 minutes of a conversation with five people like lead to a really strong roadmap? And so that's not the point. You're doing this every week. You're just having a conversation. And once you've answered that question, you change the question to next week. And you're just yeah. always talking to people. And it's not to get like, and because people are concerned that you're not asking a question like 20 people, you're not building a big sample size. And I'm like, well, this isn't marketing research. Yeah. This is me trying to taste make and understand the customer a little bit more. Yeah. I'm not trying to predict behavior like, oh, are they going to like my UI? No, it's because my UI solved their problems. That's the end game. Yeah. And in all these cases, again, there was a specific problem that I, or a question that I had, and I decided, this harkens back to what we were talking about before. I decided that a user interview, that method was the best way to figure out the solution for that problem that I had, that question that I had. Yeah. And so there was just one question. I got on some, some a couple of with some people that I talked to a lot, just asked them a few questions and then got off the call. When you're doing research, you're looking for one thing. You're looking for insights, which are like the takeaways, like the, the little lessons learned, the epiphanies, whatever, that you will then lean on to go and make a design. So that's like the fruit of research. That's the whole reason you do it. When you're talking about how to be efficient when you're researching, what you really mean is most insights per time money spent. The, the better that ratio is, the more effective and efficient the method is. So like in that particular case, I just needed some insights to solve this one question. 
And I got on the call for 15 minutes, got the insights I needed and got out of there. There's no reason to stick around unless again, there are more questions. And you can make the argument, you could have stayed on longer and maybe a couple more insights would have emerged if you had just been on there for quite a long time. But I think we don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. We got to get back to designing and, and making stuff. Yeah. And delivering value consistently. Yeah. And yeah. I could talk to him next week. That, that's the end game. That's the end game too. Just, that's not the only time you talk to that person. Like the idea of a reference customer that like, you always just talk to. Do you have those at, yeah. like where you work? Catalyst. Yeah. We, Catalyst, yeah. we have, yeah, we have several, I think. So this is another thing. Like I we didn't pay anybody for those interviews. Cause I was like, I'm just going to talk to you for like 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm gonna, basically, I implied, I'm going to try to solve a problem for you but I need to figure out a couple things first. Can you just jump on a call for a few minutes? And they mm -hmm. were like, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. We serve brokers, commercial brokers. And so we have lots of commercial brokers that I can just get on the phone with any time or just pose a question to because they know I'm going to be efficient with their time and that I'm actually, they've seen me ship things that fixes these problems that they have. Mm -hmm. So they're willing to, get on a call with me and just talk to me without, without needing an, an incentive. Yeah, for sure. And I think to tie a bow on this podcast is like every day in design, it's about making decisions and it's all, it all depends on the <laughs> scenario. And then you have to make the judgment call on like what UX tool fits there. And Jordan, thanks again for coming on the show. I recommend anyone. I love UX tools. I always like reading like their articles. Uh, and if you want to get better at UX, check out the challenges section as well. Jordan, is there anything that you feel like needs to be said before we sign off? Like any ideas no, I mean, that you missed? No, I, I, yeah, I've really liked chatting with you today. We do write a lot of content and it's totally free. You can get on our website, uxtools.co. There's always lots of, that's where the challenges are. That's where the survey is and all of our articles and stuff. And we got, I think a lot of good plans for this upcoming year. So take a look at that if you're interested. Perfect. Hey, Jordan, again, thanks for coming on the show. You have a good one. All right, you too. See ya. See ya. Thanks again for listening to The Way of Product Design. One quick favor, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your network, your friends, and hit that subscribe button on the show wherever you're listening to it. Thanks again for listening to the show, and I'm really excited to bring more awesome interviews and content your way. So keep listening, you won't be disappointed.